0: the aggression level is important because you know if you've ever been out and about and there's a one of those canadian geese that sort of spit and hiss at you and chase you if it's that kind of level of aggression definitely no (laughs) couldn't cope with that
1: welcome to texas the show that provides the information you need to know so that technology can help your business to be more successful Today I'm joined by Sarah Ann Moore, who is the Chief Executive of the MD Support Centre based in Birmingham. They are our charity partner for Q1 2022, and we're delighted to support them in the work that they do. So thanks for joining me, Sarah.
0: That's great. Thank you very much for inviting me to join you today.
1: So just to start off and find out a little bit more about what you guys do, the first question I had for you was to talk about muscular dystrophy, MD, MD and kind of what that is for people out there who don't know much about it.
0: Well, there are many different types of muscular dystrophy or MD. All of them cause muscle weakness, but the areas affected and the severity of the symptoms are very different. So MD is a rare degenerative muscle wasting condition that causes muscle loss over time and physical deterioration as a result of that. So it's caused by a genetic mutation. It affects people from all different demographics of society but it really is a suite of different conditions so there's sort of 60 different types around that many of which are lifelong some unfortunately are life-limiting such as Duchenne MD and as the condition progresses people sort of experience loss of mobility reduction in their independence so they may require carers to assist them mobility aids uh, use of a wheelchair etc etc And common issues encountered by people with MD include chronic pain, stiffness, muscle weakness, and some types can cause problems like issues with swallowing, breathing issues and heart trouble as well. It's um, something that affects about 70,000 people, we think, in the UK. But a lot of people haven't heard of it until someone in the, the family of someone they know gets MD and perhaps is not as well known at the moment as some other neuromuscular type conditions such as say MS or ALS. Clinical diagnosis is complicated it can take a year or so to sort of get that diagnosis and unfortunately once you get a diagnosis there isn't it's really hard to find support to help you to then you know, live well with that condition. And that's really why MD Support Centre was startled, to try and improve access to physical therapists that have been shown to make a difference for people to, you know, live positively and well and proactively manage their condition.
1: It's really interesting, actually. I mean, I something I was aware of, and I've heard of it before, through a good friend of mine and our, one of our business contacts, Paul Dowling at the Auto Body Professionals Club, he put you guys forward to be our nominated charity partner for Q1 and I know you know Paul was one of your service users and he said great things about you guys in fact actually I know there's a quote from him on your website actually which I was just going to actually kind of read out I did ask Paul if he wanted to come on the podcast but he's like I don't have the accent for being on a podcast so we're going to talk about him anyway so that he hears this and he knows that he's been mentioned despite the fact he didn't we would not coming on and talk, but he said that supporting a small independent charity like MD Support Centre is a great way for business to have a direct and substantial impact in the community. Every penny you donate helps provide support and physical therapies for people living with and affected by muscular dystrophy. I have been supported personally by MD Support Centre and can tell you firsthand that the centre has been life-changing and he's gone on to tell me directly loads of other great things you guys have helped with and whatnot. So... Sounds like you guys are doing great work. And one of the questions actually I had, which you didn't mention just there and telling us about muscular dystrophy, was does it affect any particular age groups or does it affect men more than women? Or, you know, is there or or does it not discriminate against who you are?
0: Because there are different types. MD affects people from all different demographics. There are certain types. So for example, Duchenne, tends to be more prevalent in boys and comes on earlier in life. So it does tend to affect young men. But then there are other types of MD that can manifest much, much later in life. So it really does depend on the different condition under that banner of MD. But no, it doesn't really discriminate. It affects across a a broad demographic really. And our service users, we only work with adults and part of that is because generally in healthcare there tends to be more support in childhood and uh, paediatric care so we chose to focus on adults because that is when care often sort of falls off a cliff when you sort of enter the adult sphere but we have service users from age 18 through we have some in their 80s you know so it really can be a lifelong condition and it really does affect all types of people.
1: Tell us a little bit about the support centre. You know, why was it started? How long has it been running? Give us the, the backstory there.
0: So the charity was started in 2012. So this is our 10th year, which is really exciting. It was started by a group of people who either had MD or were affected by MD. So our founding trustees. And they wanted to provide specific therapies for adults with MD because they'd experienced the benefit of those therapies, but were aware of how truly difficult it is to access them. And so that was really the, the genesis of the charity. And we provide osteopathy, phys- primarily physiotherapy, osteopathy, and then other therapies like hydrotherapy, some complementary therapies as well, both to people with MD and, and Complementary therapist to some carers as well, obviously supporting carers is a big part of it, supporting people both with and affected by MD. And it was really that recognition that, you know, a lot of people with MD will get that diagnosis. They'll see their consultant, their NHS consultant once a year. If they've got specific problems, then they might be referred to somebody to help with respiratory or orthotics, etc. But that ongoing long-term Physical therapy that can really help you to maintain strength and mobility and to have someone alongside you for the journey of this condition is just not really available in the NHS. And and private physiotherapy is very expensive and out of the reach of most people. So that's what we're here to do to really provide that ongoing, hopefully lifelong support for people on the journey with their condition to really help them to have independence and and hope and proactively manage what's happening with their condition.
1: It's amazing that there's charities out there and people like you guys that kind of fill in that gap between what the NHS are providing and and limited in their capability to provide to make a real difference. And still to
0: this day, I mean, there are only two centres like ours in the country proving that, you know, there really is still this gap. You know, that's been our sort of story over the last 10 years, and we are now looking to grow. We received a, a grant from the National Lottery Community Fund in 2019, which was to support our strategy of growing the number of services that we help, growing the number of clinics that we have to really improve access to the therapists that we provide.
1: Okay. I was going to ask about funding and things, and you've already kind of touched on that. So are you purely funded from donations or...? You know, do you get any other support from the government or anyone like that or
0: Yeah, so we are primarily funded through voluntary and fundraised income. So it's individual donations, it is grants, it's relationships with corporate partners like yourself. We're really excited to be working with you this quarter. And, you know, community fundraising and all of that good stuff. We do receive some income from the NHS. So uh, the NHS does give us some money for some service users in some areas, but the majority of the income that we receive is all that sort of donated and fundraised income. And then the other aspect of funding, if you like, I always think of it, you know, people fund with money, but they also fund with time. I'm the first chief executive to be sort of appointed and to have that professional role. I, I built a professional team small professional team behind me, but a lot of what we do is still very voluntary. So people donate their time to, to support us in all sorts of ways. And that means that we can then make sure that our funding is very much focused and channeled towards the delivering of those critical therapies for our service users. So we have people who, you know, they're reception assistants, they help with admin, and we've got commu- people who've helped with our communications all sorts of physio assistants, all sorts of of folks who help us and and donate their time and and real value for the charity.
1: Yeah I always find it's interesting knowing quite a few charities and having done some work with this SCVO up here in Scotland who obviously a lot of charities rely on for help support advice and that kind of stuff and things of charities is that you're focused on obviously delivering what it is you deliver and helping the people that you help but you are still a business. You still need to have all the other functions and back end that a business has that cost money. You know, you still have to deal with HR and you still have to deal with insurance and, you know, health and safety and all these other things. And same with the finances and accounts and everything else and that comes along with it. So you have all these costs that take money away from, you know, being able to deliver more service, which is I think is always the challenge for charities. Despite the fact that there's a lot of support and things out there you know for charities and some of these things and with technology as well you know you can get access to things like microsoft software for free and things like that to kind of help with some of the costs the texas 10 so sarah we're going to run through our texas 10 questions which i know you said you're a little bit off air before we joined a little bit nervous of but these are the fun questions the good icebreakers I'm always interested in to hear what people say on them question one is if you had a £100 million to spend what would you spend it on?
0: I'm probably going to give you a really boring accounting answer to that because I'm an accountant by background so I would probably invest the money and put it into an endowment and use the income from them to uh fund good causes, really. I'd probably um, switch sides a little bit from managing a charity to funding a charity, maybe. So I think that would be good. I get to interact a little bit with various folks who fund us. And I always think that would be a, a great way to to spend your time to be able to fund different causes. So yes, if I had lots and lots of money, then I think maybe that's what I'd do.
1: Definitely an accountant, aren't you? That's know, a I'm very sorry. serious answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'd find some money in that 100 million to like go to Vegas for a weekend or something though. You know, you do some, you can still do something fun and out there with it.
0: Oh yeah, I'd definitely do some of that too. I love Vegas. so That's a great suggestion.
1: <laughs> what is one of the most important things that you've learned in your life?
0: To chill out a bit. Certainly during lockdown, I started doing a lot of yoga. I think the whole kind of spending time in the moment. Chilling out and focusing on my core cool strength, all of that has been tremendously helpful. I think my husband described yoga the other day as the, the cheat code for life. I think he's probably right. It's been uh, very helpful. I, I kind of wish I'd, I'd started doing that way younger <laughs> than I did.
1: I learned, obviously, you're a cyclist and me too, which a lot of people listening to this will probably know because I talk about bikes a lot. I tried to do some of this yoga for cyclists The GCN, the Global Cycling Network, had on YouTube. And I tell you what, I didn't realise that, you know, yoga actually, you know, you feel like you've been out running. My heart was going and I was breathing. I was like, this is not easy. You know, people think yoga, you're just staying still. But it's damn difficult, you know. I struggled. So anyway, yeah, I definitely need to do a little bit more of that. It makes you realise how stiff you are and how immobile you are despite doing other forms of exercise. That's definitely what I learned from it. So I need to make time to do it more often I think.
0: Yeah I think taking time to the physical aspects of it like you say and then also the just taking time on the mat and just breathing and learning when to let things go and focusing in the moment is all really incredibly important life stuff that I definitely wish that I'd sort of done a few years ago but very helpful through this recent pandemic thing that's Going on!
1: Yeah, and you can um, do it in your house as well you don't need to go anywhere to do it right so
0: yeah, that's, exactly. that's
1: another benefit. So next question is does pineapple belong on a pizza?
0: I'm a bit binary when it comes to food I kind of think sweet things should be sweet things and savoury things should be savoury things so I think pizza's all about salty cheesy goodness I'm not sure if pineapple belongs on there.
1: That's fine you can be my friend then it's definitely one of these things. I think I've, I've fallen out with people over this one. Oh, really? <laughs> definitely can't have pineapple on pizza. It's just wrong. I mean, at, at the end of the day, hot fruit, whoever heats up fruit, fruit's cold. I, I don't
0: know. I've had some, I'm a vegetarian, so I've, I've had some meals that have involved fruit that have been um, good, but yeah, I don't know. And pizza should be <laughs> salty and definitely savoury, I think.
1: Nice. What would your walkout song be? If you're walking out on stage, what's your theme tune?
0: I have some pretty broad music taste, to be honest. There's a lot of different directions I could go with this. But something loud, something, I don't know if you've ever heard of Enter yeah, or Prodigy, something yep. like that. Something kind of loud, energetic, electronic.
1: That doesn't sound really like accountant music.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think a lot of accountants are into it. Uh, Yeah, dance, music and heavy metal. Also, it tells you I've done a lot of spin classes, basically. Anything that gets the heart pumping and gets you going, that's what I like.
1: Yeah, nice. Like it. And if you could have dinner with any three people, either dead or alive, who would you choose?
0: So I'm really into NFL. So I would invite Tom Brady, who is the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm a New England Patriots fan. And he played for us for a long time and he doesn't now. But he's 44, likely going 45. So incredible athlete, still at the top of his game. Then at the other end of the athletic spectrum, maybe, I'm also an Aston Villa fan. And so I'd invite Paul McGrath, who we call God on the terraces at Aston Villa. Again, amazing, incredible athlete, but very hard drinking and probably a very different personality from Tom Brady. And then I'd be really torn for the third, not to get political, but probably um, two characters that I'd really like to sort of sit around a dinner table with either Tony Blair or Tony Ben. And I think those three, I don't know if they would have anything to talk about, but I think it'd be interesting to see.
1: Well, as I always say to people, it's your dinner party. So it doesn't matter what other <laughs> people think who they are. It's like, that's what you want. Then go for it. You know, if you could have any superhero power what would it be
0: i think uh, the temptation is to say sort of you know super speed yeah i don't think i need to fly or anything like that maybe um maybe time manipulation maybe i could uh eke out a few more hours in my day to get through my to-do list that's
1: an interesting one
0: i don't know the ability to manipulate time
1: that's a new one i've not heard that one before so (laughs) more time yeah it's good actually isn't it Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses?
0: I think one horse-sized duck. I don't think I'd win the fight. Depends how aggressive it was. But yeah, I think at least it would be one, one thing to go for. That's
1: a tough question. It is. This is the question that seems to take the longest for people to answer because people say, well, you know, like you said, how aggressive is it? I think most people have said 100 duck-sized horses because, like, duck-sized horses aren't really that terrifying. I mean, a little, imagine little miniature horses. I mean, like, you can... And plus, all you've got to do is stand on top of a table and they would not be able to get to you. I just think a horse-sized duck would be terrifying. Imagine how big its beak would be, like it would have massive feet and its wings. Like, I think a horse-sized duck could do you some damage and you're not really going to be able to get away from it easy, are you?
0: This is why the aggression level is important because, you know, if you've ever been out and about and there's one of those Canadian geese that sort of spit and hiss at you and chase you, if it's that kind of level of aggression, definitely no. (laughs) Couldn't cope with that.
1: Interesting question though, I think. It gets people thinking about it in lots of different ways.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd rather not have to fight either, to be honest, but that wasn't an option.
1: You see, the business person, entrepreneur mind in me thinks, if I had 100 duck-sized horses, I could sell them. (laughs) Like, you could probably sell a duck-sized horse for quite a lot of money. Like, I think people would buy that. You know, people like miniature pigs and stuff, don't they? Yeah,
0: well, people have those sort of house ponies, little miniature
1: like, that'd be cool I my mean, kids would love a duck sized horse
0: but again you, you're, you're suggesting I have to fight these little horses so I'm assuming that you know aggressive amped up dangerous horses
1: well yeah we're assuming yeah we've not got the aggression levels down to this question yet it's just we're just picking one or the other it's meant to be a simple <laughs> question but it never ends up that way <laughs> mm-hmm. okay we'll move on next one is what piece of advice would you give to your 16 year old self
0: It might be the yoga thing, to be honest. Start doing that before your late thirties, because I'm sure it would be more impactful if I'd started doing that earlier.
1: I always wish I'd taken up running and cycling younger, because I think, especially when I was kind of early twenties and your twenties and things, I was like, you don't really feel that you have to do all those things because you think you're still quite fit in doing other things. So I definitely wish I'd started doing things younger, for sure, I
0: think the, the mental side of it as well, because I, I mentioned sort of trying to chill out a little bit. Certainly when I was younger, you, you get very consumed and probably didn't do all the self care stuff. So a bit of yoga probably would have done me a lot of good in my early twenties, I think.
1: If you had a time machine, would you travel to the past or to the future?
0: That's an interesting one, because I, I mean, I have an interest in history, but I'm not sure I want to see it. <laughs> I think i probably go forward, I think i see the future. See what's coming.
1: Would you not be scared, knowing what's coming? I think that's what most people have said to this. Like, I don't want to know what's happening in the future. I'd rather not know. I
0: don't know. I think it's it's kind of fascinating because we try and think of the impact that we have on the future and but we don't we never get to see that. Whereas we do know what happened in the past. So
1: I would you travel yeah, I think
0: it would be scary.
1: Would you travel to the future and find out the outcome of the Super Bowl and then go and put a massive bet on it. <laughs> Yes, pick- Back to
0: the Future is one of my favourite films.
1: Your, uh, work. Uh, work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, really? even got all of the dates in the back from the film. Oh, films, yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah, so maybe that's it. Yeah, If I go back to the past, I might mess it up. So the future's the way forward.
1: Yeah. For the people that obviously can't see what we're talking about there, I was shown Sarah my Back to the Future mug says powered by flux capacitor and coffee and then it's got the dates and times that he went back to the future in the movie so that's really interesting all those answers sarah the final question is that this podcast is called Texas and so for me that's all about how technology can help businesses to be more successful so what does Texas look like to you and within your organization
0: We're a small charity. We are, because of that, you know, agile and we try to be as efficient as possible. We work, even before the pandemic, we were working remotely. All of our team work part time, including myself. So, you know, we've always tried to make the very best use of technology and try new things and try new systems and try new apps, anything that could help us to work efficiently. We were always cloud-based. So I think there's Using the right tools, but for us, and this is kind of our biggest challenge now, is how you make those things knit together well and the system integration and making sure that it's not just that you've got a great app for that, it's that things work together and communicate and the interfaces work. And that's the bit where we probably have a, a lot more development to do. But I think in terms of you know picking things that help us to work better, we've been very good at that and that's part of it but it all has to integrate so you know, that's one of our biggest challenges i think at the moment and, and going forward
1: okay interesting well thank you very much that's the texas 10 done wasn't that scary was it
0: no it wasn't too bad it wasn't too bad <laughs>
1: the texas 10 you mentioned that you're the first chief exec so i was going to ask kind of a little bit about how you came to get involved and kind of What's your backstory? You've already told us you're an accountant, so we know that. But yeah, so how did you come to get involved with the centre?
0: Well, I I suppose the simplest answer to that is I applied for the job. But uh, there is a sort of backdrop to sort of how that job came to be because like I say, the charity got this National Lottery Community Fund grant, which was to fund a strategy of growth. And part of that money was to develop a professional team. So it part-funded my role and enabled me to appoint some other individuals as well. And that was really because although the charity had been doing amazing things as a voluntary-led organisation, if you want to grow as we, we want to, because we know there's tremendous unmet need. there's lots of people with MD who just don't know we're here or don't have access to the kind of support that we provide. So if you want to have that growth and you want it to be a sustainable growth, then you have to make sure that you have all of the stuff you were just talking about, all operationalized and systematized, if that's a word, and make sure that you're on that really stable footing. So for me, because I am an accountant, but I'm I spent 20 years working for one of the big four. I'm a, a business consultant by background really. I've worked across all sorts of industries, but I've spent a lot of time in healthcare. So to come across this organization where they kind of needed a a bit of a jack-of-all-trades who could get into all of these different things to build that sort of sustainable basis. And then it was a healthcare-focused organization. It it just kind of perfectly aligned with, with what I wanted to do. And then, of course, once I got in there and tremendous energy and commitment that the whole team have... It's just addictive, really. So I've you know never looked back from that. It's it's just a wonderful place to work, and it came at a time in my life when I had relocated from the US and I was looking to really refocus my career, and it all just sort of came together perfectly, really. But the one thing I would say is you know I didn't know anything about MD when I joined the organization. I had a, a huge learning curve around MD and the, the conditions and what we can do for our service users and their experiences, but. When I talk to people about what I do now, it's so common that people will say, oh, I do, I know somebody with MD. What's really sad is usually they tell me that they're not receiving the kind of support that that we offer. So it just kind of proves out that there is this tremendous unmet need and then just, you know, makes us focus on that mission even more.
1: Well, thanks for the insights into that, Sarah. I've certainly learned a little bit today, more than I did before, so that's good and I'm Sure, there's people who listen to this that have never heard of MD or maybe heard of it, but didn't actually know what it was. And like you said, it can kind of get confused with other conditions like MS and things. So the final thing I was going to ask was what is the best way for people listening to find out more, to get in touch with you guys, or if anyone out there, you know, or any businesses want to donate anything to you, what's the best way for them to to get in touch?
0: If you think that we could help, or if you'd like to find out more about what we do, please give us a call. You can look us up on the internet. Address is www.mdsupportcenter.org, or our number is zero two four seven six one hundred seven seven zero, or get in touch at mdsupportcenter.org is our email. So any of those any of those mechanisms would work, and and would love to to hear from you.
1: Awesome. Thanks very much for joining me, Sarah. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time.
0: Thank you so much. Texas is an M3 Networks podcast. Find out more at m3networks.co.uk.